We're in Genesis chapter 26, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abilamech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you. And I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister because he was afraid to say she's my wife. Now, where do you think he got that from? Does that sound familiar to anybody? Abraham does the exact same thing when he travels to foreign lands. He says about his wife, she is my sister, to save his own skin. You know, when we're parents, our our children are watching. Uh, And not just families, but even those in the church. And you'll see in this chapter a lot of things Isaac does very similarly that his dad did. And how, uh, just I think someone shared beforehand, family, Bobby said family matters. (laughs) You can see here. Isaac does the exact, commits the exact same sin his father did. She is my wife, he thought. The men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. Verse 8, when Isaac had been there a long time, Abilamech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abilamech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abilamech said, what is this that you've done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and would have been brought guilt upon all of us. So Abilamech gave orders to all the people, whoever harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land in the same year, reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abilamech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and camped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been done in the time of, dug in the time of his father Abraham, <clears throat> which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave the, same, gave the wells the same name his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, this water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So they named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well. And no one quarreled over this one. He moved on from there, dug another well. uh, Sorry, I just read that. And no no one quarreled over it. He named it uh, Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. From there, he went up to Beersheba that night and the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. Isaac built an altar there, called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there the servants dug a well. The rest of the chapter, Abilamech comes back, realizes, Isaac, you are in fact blessed by God. Let's cut a covenant between us. Isaac decides... Okay, let's cut a covenant, and then the chapter ends. And on Sunday, we'll get back to Jacob and Esau, but we have this little aside 
of Isaac. And um, what we have is an interesting story about Isaac. He goes to this foreign land and he says the same thing that his dad said whenever he traveled. And we talked actually uh, in Genesis 22 when Abraham does this, we, we preached about um, stubborn sin or habitual sin and how there are certain sins in our life that are just hard to get rid of. That there are some things you can easily kind of change, and especially when you become a disciple, you can repent. But some things, they just stick with you. Some sins can just attack and attack and attack. And these are Satan's greatest weapons because um, a lot of times when we become disciples and, we are, and, we, and we're Christians, we tend to look at, like anything in life, we look at how are things going? And a lot of times people can think how something's going by looking at the results. Um, and dependent on the results is dependent on whether they keep doing what they're doing or they quit. Uh, you know, like when you play a video game and you're losing 50 to zero, like Pierre sometimes when you're playing Madden football, like you're losing a, by a ton, right? And you just turn it off, right? You're just mad. You're just like reset, right? But when things aren't going, this is hypothetical, when things aren't going well, like, okay, I'm losing, things aren't going well, let's just let's reset, let's stop, let's quit. And a lot of times our faith is based on how things are going, results. Um, we go to church based on how the week went. We pray based on how we're feeling. We read our Bible based on a time available. We, we really, sometimes our faith is driven just by how things are going. Um, if it seems like we might get something we want, we'll, we'll love God more. If it seems like things are not going well, we struggle. If the kids are not following God, we struggle. We pull back. We go, well, God, hold on. I thought the kids were supposed, I thought if I became a disciple, the kids were supposed to be okay. I thought my wife, I thought my family, I thought my job, I thought this sickness wouldn't, I thought people, you know, would treat me. With, I thought all these things would change. And so with Isaac, it's interesting to see his sin because there is something incredible about Isaac in this chapter. But there's also, you see his timidity and his fear. And in the same way, he has the same sin of his father. Um, and I think for a lot of us, and especially what we're learning in the youth and family ministry, my wife and I, you know, we help oversee the preteen ministry, which is awesome. Um, and we, uh, we, we, we do that with youth and family. And, and a lot of times with what's interesting about uh, the family is that when you see sin in a kid, it's not isolated sin. It's not like mom and dad are angels and somehow this 10-year-old learned. How'd they learn that? I don't know. But most of the time, it's actually a really good insight into the family dynamic and into mom or into dad. And so I love, we love youth and family ministry because um, a lot of times it actually helps the parent sometimes be a little bit more humble. Because if you come to a parent and say, you know, I think it's your quiet times you know, don't, don't seem to be happening. OK, but if the kid says my dad never reads, never prays, it's, it's a little more convicting, right? It's like they're, they're around you more so they see it. And we can see that Isaac has obviously learned some things from his father. And he's learned some of those sins. Um, and we talked, we preached last time. If you haven't listened to that uh, sermon, go, go back and listen to what we talked about, what to do with stubborn sin. But I don't think that's really the point of this chapter. If you notice, what is, I, what is Isaac doing for most of the chapter? What do we see him doing? I'm sure he's, he messes up with, with his wife and he's selfish and cares about saving his own skin, just like the old man. But he does something else. He's kicked out. He succeeds. He's kicked out. He, he digs up these old wells. Then he does well. They kick him out. He digs up more wells. People say, 
you know, get out of here. Uh, they get envious. They, they fill him with earth, with dirt. Like he builds, it's not easy to build a well, but he builds a well and, they, and he, he keeps having to move. He keeps having to build new wells. And uh, eventually, it's funny, the scripture goes, no one quarreled over it now. He has a, he has a well. And um, the, the title of my lesson tonight is Keep Digging. Um, keep on digging. And I think what's beautiful about Isaac is that he keeps digging. Um, he just keeps, uh, and honestly, he could get in arguments over these things. Like the people are envious. Uh, they're jealous of him. He's doing quite well. But he keeps on digging. He doesn't argue, and he eventually comes to a well, um, and he sets up shop, and there where he can, he says, God blesses him a hundredfold. And I, I think for us as a church, I was convicted by this, this text because I think there's a temptation with us as a church to, to give up um, when we don't see the results that we want to see. And I, I, I've actually heard it a lot recently from different people in one-on-one times, and it's normal. I think, I think it's, it's how we approach life, but... You know, one brother may say, I just feel like giving up on friendships. I just feel like I text, I try, I call, I, I try to reach out. It just seems like nobody wants to be my friend. I'm just, I'm just done. You know, as another person says, I just, I don't know what else to do with my kid. I just, we try, it keeps being issues. I, we, I just feel like we try to discipline, it doesn't work. So we just, we just gave up on, or I, we try to, I try to have deep conversations with my kid, or I try to, I try to be sexually pure, but it's just, it doesn't work. I've, I tried everything. It doesn't work. And I think we get to a place of faithlessness and we stop digging. Um, and we just get set. We just settle with existing instead of growing. And I think sometimes as I mean, sometimes it's our fault. And this is I mean, I think as leaders, we have to we have to take responsibility for that. And one of the things we want to do the rest of the year with our midweeks is make them a lot more active where we can all not just come and listen to the text, but actually read the text together, take turns, pray together, take turns, sing songs, take turns, but not just go to church, but be the church so that we can actually have more of a say in this. It's not just uh, I go to church. There was uh, an author recently who wrote that he wrote down, this is the most depressing sentence I can think of today, but how common is it? Of Hey, um, I think we're going to start going to your church because I'm not getting getting anything out of mine. He goes, oh yeah, you should come because our church is awesome, but this Sunday we won't be there because Johnny has soccer practice. And that was it. Those were just the two sentences. And the author said the most depressing couple sentences in the world. There's so much wrong with those two sentences. But how often do you hear that? And I think I was convicted because I thought, man, as, as Christians, we get in this place where we just, we exist and we don't grow. And we, and we begin to get to a place where we think that's okay. That's normal. Instead of seeing all this growth that can happen. And Jesus, as he talks over and over and over again about growing. You know what's amazing about this text that's, that's really cool? He says that um, Isaac uh, was blessed a hundredfold. Can anybody think of where else in the Bible some, a crop is blessed a hundredfold? The good soil in Matthew 13. A lot of us study that out before we get baptized. We call it account the cost of Bible study and we look at Matthew 13. There's four soils, right? The seed sown along the path, the seed sown along the rocks, the seed sown along the thorn, and the good soil, the good seed. And that soil... It says, Jesus says, that soil bears much fruit. Now, remember in Matthew 13, it says that the, the, the seed sown among the thorns, it's choked and it does not bear fruit. And I love that text because Jesus doesn't say it dies versus it exists. No, the point of the crop is to bear fruit. 
The point is growth. And some of us, we hear growth and we think adding numbers. But growth in terms of agriculture, sure, it includes the idea of adding conversions and adding people to the church. But it mostly includes the idea of health. Are you healthy spiritually? Are you, are you a healthy disciple? And I'm not sure we talk like that. I think we talk like simply existing. We talk about, you know, where I can move and it's okay because there's a church there. Well, instead of thinking it's okay because there's a, don't think about just existing. Think about, are you going to grow there? Oh, my, my, my family group meets my needs. But are you existing in your family group or are you growing in your family group? Are you healthier today than you were a year ago? You know, anybody, we'd be, you'd be really concerned if 100% of Harvard graduates uh, were getting job, all getting jobs at Jack in the Box. That's a West Coast place. Maybe you'll call it uh, uh, Hardee's, right? If all of these Harvard grads are getting jobs at Hardee's, you'd say, I don't, I don't think they're learning anything. Four years at Harvard, you should know something. Well, four years in the church, you should know something. How about 40 years in the church? You should know something. You should be a leader. You should be healthier, right? If you had a personal trainer and all you did, you didn't get anywhere, you'd fire the personal trainer. You know, a lot of these thoughts that I'm sharing come from a great book by Francis Chan called Letters to the Church. And Francis Chan talks about, he's like, man, if you had a trainer that, like a person, the best personal trainers are the ones where you go home sore afterwards, like, but, you're, but, you, but you grew, and I think this is a challenging, a challenging topic for us because I, and I think it's a challenging topic for me too because when I go there mentally, I go there in my heart of am I growing? Sadly, the first thing that comes up is a lot of excuses. Sure. And I think the longer we're in the church, the better we are at the excuses. We get really good at the excuses. Yeah. And, um, and if we're really... If we're really scary, we, we don't just have excuses. We have excuses with a little bit of passion behind them. We scare people off. Like, don't come barking up this tree. I've been around. I've tried. I've tried everything with my daughter. I've tried everything with Pure. You think you know more than me? We even get, we get, we're not just faithless about growing. We're prideful about that. And we're hurt. I think we're really, we're just, we're hurt because we had these expectations that aren't being met. We had these hopes of, oh, this is what it was going to be like. And then it's not met. I just think we have to, Look, we have to lift our eyes to the horizon and really begin to dream again. Yeah. We've got to begin to, to just look and say, man, what, what does God want to see in me? How does God want to see growth or health? Am I growing in the faith? Um, and I think what's beautiful about Isaac here is he keeps on digging those wells. And the goal for all of us is to be fruitful. That was always the goal. Did a Bible study with uh, one of the teens just today, and we studied uh, discipleship. And it's amazing. If you haven't studied discipleship with a seeker in a while, somebody who wants to get baptized or, or become a Christian, study discipleship with yourself this week. Because it's convicting. And you forget the purpose. Every time Jesus says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, there's a purpose. You cannot be a disciple. You cannot. Universal negative. No one can be a disciple. Not grandma or grandpa. No one can be a disciple unless they hate their mother, hate their father, even hate their own life. Jesus says you cannot be a disciple because I think 
We've got to put God first so that we can really grow. And Jesus isn't concerned about numbers. He's really not. He fails. If, if we judge him by numbers, he fails in his lifetime. But he doesn't care about who. That's why he, whenever there's large crowds traveling with him in Luke, there should be an alarm in our head. Like something bad's about to happen because there's large crowds. Jesus wants a healthy church. He wants a real church. He wants people to be the church, not to go to church. And the, the beautiful thing about this, um, I think for us today, is, is really simple. Uh, let's close out with Matthew 13, since I've quoted it so much. Let's pop over there. Um, and we'll talk about this more, but we're excited about the fall and doing midweeks a little bit differently. But to be able to, to, be able to grow and to be able to have this church come to church because you are in awe of the word of God. To attend church because you are awed by being, having a chance to sing to God. That you are awed by a chance to be able to pray together to God. Um, and I think this church does a lot of things very well. I think we're a very loving church, but um, one of the things in the book that was very convicting was, is there supernatural love in your church? You know, and if your friends at work who are atheists are more friendly than you are, are, you, is it, is it, are we really experiencing supernatural love? You know, Jesus prays in John 15 that the world will know us by our love and that our unity will actually convict the world. They'll know it's us. They'll know we're real because of our love. And I think that's where a lot of us stop. That's where a lot of us, we give to a certain point. And I think there's, I think we've just, as great as Blue Ridge is, and, and there, you, you guys are incredible. And so many people have come up to me and said, there's, a, there's something different about this church. I can sense the love when I come here. And I want to be here. I want to move here. I want to help here. And that's really special. But I really don't think we're even close to God's expectation of what we could be as his church. And I think that's exciting that we, that even for me, I'm 30. I've been a Christian for 16 years. I've, I've been, now been a Christian longer than I haven't been a Christian in my life. But I feel like I'm just now learning like what, and I'm not even close, but like what real love is. And you might be overwhelmed right now. You might be thinking, you know what? I get it, Drew. We should love. But if you just knew how hard it is, and a lot of our hearts go there. If you just knew how I feel then you would know that it's impossible or that sure. But I love this parable of the sower. And as Isaac is blessed a hundredfold, we're going to see the exact same idea here in the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, verse 18. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown among the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to somebody who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. That's the equivalent of, of death for Jesus unfruitful. So just existing as a Christian is not fruit. We've got to be fruitful. We've got to grow. How do we do it? But well, verse 23 says, the seed falling among the good soil refers to somebody who hears the word and understands it. 
This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 what was sown. I think the beautiful thing about this parable is what, what grows, right? The seed. What is the seed? It's the word of the kingdom. It's the word of the kingdom. Allowing the word to grow in us is what will cause, is, is growth. It's just simply this. It's Jesus. It's the Logos. It's, it's the truth of the message of Christ. Just letting this grow within us. You don't have to cause the growth. In fact, sometimes the more we try to cause growth, the more we become like the rocks or the thorns. We worry more. We even worry about not growing. And the worry comes in and it, it chokes us. But I love that it says uh, it's the word that's sown in us. It's nothing fancy. Um, and I think as, as I'm, as what I'm learning is I, I have, you guys know this. I, I love, one of the things I love about ministry is a lot of things that are difficult. One of the things I love is, is speaking, is communicating. I put a lot of work into it. Something that God's been teaching me over the past year is that as good as I may want to be at preaching, I cannot add anything to his word. I can't. As good as I could, much as I could do or, or, or entertain, it's not adding to the divine word of God. This is enough. Um, and I, I think I got to a place where I had to realize that. I had to humble out. And I had to realize, do I, and do I see it that way? Do I believe that this is enough to change people? And what's been really freeing for me is when I really believe that this is what changes people and that the Bible is enough, evangelism's easy. And studying the Bible with, with a seeker is easy because the pressure's off. What if I don't have the answers? Good. There's the answer. Just read Mark together. Just read John together. That's, if you do that and have no commentary, it's going to do its work. And we're actually able to grow when we let the word do its work. Um, and so we're going to close out a little early because we wanted to break, uh, break into family groups and talk about this a little bit. Um, but I wanted to talk about, uh, for us to share, and it's, it's going to be a tough question, okay? I understand it's going to be a tough question. I was nervous about this question, but I think we can do it. Uh, we might go deep. It's, if you don't want to answer it, you don't have to, but I encourage you to still answer the question in private, okay? But I thought we could break up into our family groups. We'll actually, uh, we'll sing the final song. We'll pass the trays for benevolent contribution. And then we'll, we'll be with about 15 minutes left before the kids come. So we'll break up into our family groups. And then before we talk about what we usually talk about in our family groups, I want to just go around and answer this question. Um, and the first question is, what do you feel tempted to give up on? You know, as, as, as Isaac's digging and digging and digging, a lot of times, we can get, what do we feel faithless about? What do you feel like giving up on? You just feel like, you know what, I just, I feel like giving up in this area of my life. Simple question. I just think we, as a family group, let's go around. Let's share those things. Let's jot them down and then finally have a couple people pray through those things as a group. And then, as a group, read Psalm 27 out loud uh, together. Um, if you don't know the answer, just have, have a thought about it. Think about it. But I think this is, this is a time just to be able to be real and to be able to know where other, what other people are feeling. And I encourage you just to be honest about this one. 
and give it, give it your best shot to kind of share what do you feel like giving up on? What do you feel like, you know what, I just can't do this anymore? Um, and I want to encourage you if you feel like, I think everybody should have something. Because it's actually not a bad thing to feel that. It's much scarier to feel apathetic. To feel like, oh, everything's fine. I'm fine, we're all fine, it's always been fine. That's a scarier place than we actually still are hurting because of, of what we want to see God do in our life. So I encourage everyone, if you can't think of anything, maybe later, but have something in the next day or so that you really, what is it that you feel faithless about? Let's be honest about it. And then as a church, by just talking about it, we're, we're being humble. So uh, we're going to go ahead and sing a final song, uh, Pass the Trays for Benevolent Contribution. And then after that, break up into your family groups. We'll have 15 good minutes um, to be able to just kind of go around, pray, and then read Psalm 27 out loud together. Uh, and not just go to church, but to really be the church as we strive to be healthy uh, together. Amen.